Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. individuals who uh, have the hand of God on their life to share the gospel, and, and, and all of us have that on our lives. Some of them are called to do it in front of others, and, um, and they're given a chance now to uh, share. It's called Five Minutes of Fire because they're given five minutes, okay, to come up and, and share what God has put on their heart, and as soon as the first one's done, the second one comes. And then the third one, and um, and this is fun. So if you don't like the first message, just hang around, okay? I, I think there's nine. You've got a choice. One out of nine is going to hit you today, okay? And so let's go ahead and start. I forget who's first. Of course you would say if you don't like the first message. Uh, all right. I know, right? <clears throat> all right, so I've got a few scriptures. I just want to jump right in. Uh, first scripture, awesome. First John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Second scripture, first John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Okay, so first off, we have established just with those two verses that God is love. That's, that's a line that we have to have clear and established to be able to go forward. So I know a lot of people talk about 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. So we're going to talk about that first one, the First Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. I know a lot of people read this, and they'll see it as this is God talking about what love is. Who's love? Okay, so we've established that God is now saying this is his characteristics. So when you want to understand God, this is a good way to look at what is God like. He tells you clearly what it is, so we'll read this. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So this is God telling us his characteristics. It's not just for us to understand that how should we love somebody else? What does that look like and how we should share it with somebody else? But this is God saying, I'm setting the standard of what it looks like. This is who I am. This is how I behave and how I look at everybody on this planet. So that gives us a good example to look at. I tried a while back. I, I came to a thought of, okay, understand God's love. I've heard people say, well, if God is this all-loving God, why would he create somebody like Adolf Hitler? Okay? You can't justify or excuse the choices that he made. You can't. But 
people don't have the understanding of who God is if they can't understand why God created them. And it goes simply back looking to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It's all about hope. God gave everything choice, not just humans. He gave angels choice. They had free will. And if you need proof of that, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, in uh, King James, I believe it says, hope or love does not demand its own way. That means he gave everything choice, including you and me. So you have a choice in what you say and do. But God, because he has hope in all things, just like it says right here, 1 Corinthians 13, he has hope that even though you have free choice, even though he knows exactly what you're going to do 30 seconds from now, 20 years from now, he still has hope that you'll still choose the right thing. You'll choose him above all else. That's the hope. That is what love looks like. So let's look at this. How can you do that? So, Mr. Jeff, I'm going to bring you up here. Sorry. So I know quite a bit about Jeff, and he's going to share stuff with me when we talk. Now, if I walk away from Jeff and say, it's kind of like what Pastor was talking about a little bit ago, if I don't pay much attention to what his problems are, things he needs help with, they say, oh, okay, well, good luck with that, and then I walk away from it. Thanks, Jeff. And I just walk away from it, and I don't have any concern for him, or I don't say, you know what, Jeff, I really hope things get better for you. I really hope better things for you. I hope somebody who's having a problem say, I hope that you don't make that bad choice to do those things. It's just like a parent with a child. It's the same thing. You want to hope that your children will make the right choice. You can't control their choices because that's not love. Control is not love. And God clearly defined that when he tells us that we have a choice. So your love for somebody else, if you really want it to look Christ-like, look like what God really wants it to look like, you still have to hope in somebody and hope the best for them. So we'll look at the last verse I have, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Love is hope. Even when it says in the Bible, these three things, faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest. Because love has hope. Love has hope and faith in better things. That is what love looks like. So when you look at your neighbor, when you look at your enemy, and you want to show the love of Christ, it has to come from, I have hope that they will do better. I have hope in better things. From I hope that they will treat me better. That's love. Because when you lose hope in somebody, you don't love them. That's, that you may like. It could even be your spouse. If you don't have hope that your spouse is going to treat you better, that's not love. That's just liking somebody. And you can like anybody. That's the same thing when it tells us that even thieves will do that because they like somebody. They like hanging out with them. But if they really don't hope better for them or hope in them, it's not love. Have hope. Next, uh, help me, Holy Spirit, to, to communicate this. I thank you, Father. Uh, 
I didn't hear his buzzer go off, so I got a little bit more time, I think. Uh, I'm going to talk about Jesus, the door. I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God. I'm going to talk about preaching and how to be effective in five minutes. So here it goes. <laughs> Jesus is the door, right? Listen to these two verses. Are they up there? Throw them up there if you can. Verse 7 in chapter 10, it says, Then Jesus said unto them again, Earlier he was talking to him, and he said, I'm the way. Earlier in the chapter. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Then later, uh, skip a verse, verse 9, it says, John 10, 9, it says, I, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus speaking here says, I am the door. Well, now we know he also said, I am the way. And then again later in John, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the door. Now I'm going to go to step two. Uh, I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God for a second. Jesus is the door to the kingdom of God. Jesus is not the kingdom of God. He's the door to the kingdom of God. Now that might be a hard for some to take. Let me say this. Uh, Jesus is the door to the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? What is it? If he's the door to it, you know, doors, like that door, if, he, if we talk about the door, we're talking about Jesus being the door, but what's on the other side of the door? The kingdom of God is on the other side of the door. You can't go to the kingdom of God without going through him. Uh, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God in Mark. Jesus said, I must preach the gospel. I must preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to other cities also, for that's why I'm sent. He was sent here to preach the kingdom of God. And then Jesus also said, I, I sent others to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So a question. What did Jesus talk about after he rose from the dead? Anybody? What did he what did he talk about? He rose from the dead, 40 days he after he rose from the dead, before he ascended, he, he talked about what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you the verse. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking to them pertaining to them, pertaining to the things of the kingdom of God. So now I'm going to get into a preaching. Don't have too much time, so I'm going to just kind of shoot it quick how can you be effective in reaching out to the lost uh, the lost the religious people you know <laughs> the hurting people the struggling people how can you be effective to reaching out to the lost the people outside the doors that's not us I mean unless somebody snuck in here it's not us how do we be effective to the people outside the doors how are you going to go and evangelize people if all you ever talk about is the door? Talk about what's, what the kingdom of God is, and they'll, they'll start looking for the door. They'll ask questions about the door. They'll start seeking the door. I, I'll even say this. They'll start knocking on the door. You know what happens after that. So in, in, my, in my theology, I believe that we should, I'm convinced that we should be preaching the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and we should preach 
the kingdom in a way that people of every religion can hear it. If you're talking to a Muslim, if you start bringing up the name of Jesus, your conversation will probably be over. Uh, and I want to kind of conclude a little bit with this. God the Father is after nations. He's interested in nations. His will is to bring heaven to earth. Remember how Jesus said pray? Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, the gospel of, of Christ Jesus is, is an eternal message for people. The gospel of the kingdom of God is for right here, right now. It's when you go up to somebody like Pastor was talking about, and you start talking to him, you engage him, and you say, nothing. find yourself in the valley you're going to find yourself with your back up against the wall and it's going to be determination it's going to allow you to stand on that solid rock even though hell is breaking out all around you and that's what's going to help you to keep on going you know I, I think about the scripture and pastors talked about this before in in the eighth chapter of Romans you know that we're more than a conqueror through him that loved us but you're never going to be more than a conqueror till you conquer something and it's determination that's going to help you to conquer something. You know, because this life's no, no cakewalk. You know that. It's no walk in the park. But you know, Jesus never said it would be. He never said it would be. You know, uh, the Bible says in, in John 6 and 33, he said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. He said, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. For I've overcome the world. So if you're looking for peace today, if you're trying to stand today, remember where the, where the peace is. Remember where the determination is. It's in him. He says, in me. In the world, you're not going to find any peace. You're not going to find any joy. And you know, the psalmist David, he, he, he echoes also that, that sentiment. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God will deliver them out of all of them. He says, God will deliver them out of all of them. And, and then I, you know, I, I thought about the famous philosopher Forrest Gump. He said this, he said, life is like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. See, if you're as old as me, and that's pretty old, I remember the time for Christmas they used to give you these big old box of chocolates. And I guarantee you, you never knew what you were going to get. And you bit into those things, and the green stuff come out, and red stuff come out. See, if I wasn't smart, I bit the sides so they knew I did it. My wife was smart. She'd bite the bottom and put it back in so they didn't know she did it. But when you wake up every day, you don't know what you're going to have to face. 
You don't know what, what's in that day. That's probably why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. He said, there's enough problems tomorrow. Just take care of today. You know? But the best thing you can do before your feet hit the floor is say, Lord, whatever, whatever happens today, whatever happens today. You know, I think about the psalmist David. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Maybe that's why Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. you got to say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. You know, and I'm just going to rejoice in it today, no matter what happens, because I guarantee you whatever happens, it's Father filtered that God has it already. He's already taken care of it. So I'm going to put these down. They're just in my way. Thank you, Jesus. And then when you couple that with the fact that the devil's plan, if you look, if you look at Daniel 7 and 25, his plan is to wear out the saints of God. And it seems like the older you get, the more he tries to wear you out. He tries to wear you out. And you've got to have that determination. I think the old folks called it gumption or grit. You've got to be like old John Wayne when he was down in the valley, you know, and he was facing old Ned Pepper in true grit. And they said, hey, we've got business else for it. Just let us ride on. But he, no, he was determined. He was determined that he was going to do what he had to do. So the Bible said Paul has some good advice for us in, in Corinthians 15 and 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Webster describes determination as the quality that makes you continue to try to do or achieve something that is difficult. Like a man said, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Paul, if he's here today, the first thing he'd tell you is Christianity is not for wimps. It's not for wimps. But it, it's the quality that makes you to continue to, to do or achieve something that is difficult. The act of deciding definitely and firmly. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I, I want to just apologize to Ira first because when I was told the order and he was standing, we were all standing there, he, he was told he was going first and I said, you lucky dog. And I thought, God, did I just call my brother in Christ a dog? So he's not a dog, and it's just like, you know, just anyway, he is a beloved, much-loved son of God, and so I just thank God. But anyway, uh, so Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that I speak your heart and not mine. And I ask, Lord, that you would just have your way. Let your word go forth and touch your people and heal them. In Jesus' name. We thank you for the spirit of revelation and wisdom right now. Amen. So I have a couple scriptures, but the first one is found in Romans 8, starting at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And I just uh, felt in my spirit that the one thing I needed to focus on today is, you know, so often Christians get uh, condemnation and conviction confused. And if you don't understand the difference between the two of them, the enemy can keep you down and keep you from going forward in Christ. So, you know, why is condemnation bad? Well, because if you read the Word of God, you'll find out that the devil, Satan, he's already condemned already. So what does he want for you? He wants you to feel condemned. 
And what does condemnation involve? So a lot of things, actually, not just guilt, not just shame, fear, sometimes fear. Um, Manipulation, oftentimes he'll use manipulation against us. Um, Have you ever known somebody that speaks truth, but they speak in half-truths? This is the enemy's ways. He's very subtle to understand. Hi, Debbie. Bless the Lord. I'm so glad to see you. Anyway, if, if you understand the enemy's ways, he's very subtle. And uh, he, he, he comes in like, like a... He comes in like a, a, like a snake, like, like a serpent in the garden, and he's very subtle. He's very subtle. You know, when, when, this, when, the, when the serpent talked to Eve, obviously that was a thing. You know, the animals must have talked back then before the fall. But when he talked to Eve, he spoke in half-truths. That's why it's so important for us to know the word and allow the word to read it often and to, to not just read it but to eat it, to let it become a part of us, the washing of the water of the word to cleanse our minds from all those thought patterns that we had before we knew Christ. But the enemy, he's a bully. He will use condemnation. He'll use guilt, shame. He'll use half-truths to trick us and keep us down so we cannot move forward in Christ. Um, I'm, I, I, uh, I think oftentimes if we can just see the battle and understand what's really going on when we, we're feeling that condemnation and, the, and that guilt and that shame, and, 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 you know, I know very well what that is all about because be, when I got saved, I was drenched in guilt and shame and condemnation from my past. I, I just walked for a couple years like that. I even lost weight. I, was, I, would, I would not eat. I was sick, and, and I was just sick because I couldn't grasp the love of God, the love of God and his mercy of God. You know, uh, I just want to tell you what conviction's like now. Conviction is... Um, I'm going to use you, Tracy. Stand up. Conviction is, you know, Tracy, my beloved daughter, I love you. I saw what you did. I have better for you. That's conviction. We serve a personal God. Yes. But the enemy, he's sly. I saw something once, and, and I don't know if you ever get zombied out and do Facebook scroll, 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 you know. And I saw something that my eyes can't unsee, and it, it, it just impacted me so much to the enemy's ways. But it was just a circle of men, ISIS, in a Middle Eastern country, and they were trying to get the parents of this young infant to convert, and they were kicking the infant back and forth in this circle, trying to get the, the mother and the father to convert, they used their feelings against them, fear, intimidation. And that's just exactly what the enemy is like. But our God, once you repent, repentance isn't talked about much anymore, but it's a gift. When that conviction comes and you, you look at that, when God puts his finger on that thing and he says, I love you, my beloved daughter, my beloved son, repentance is a gift. Because the love of God, when, it, when he puts his arms around you and the Father envelops you with that kind of love, I don't ever want to be anywhere else but right there. Praise the Lord. 
I had asked my husband for 10 minutes since I'm his wife, but he didn't give it to me. Amen. All right, so I got a question. Who in here would like to become a kid again? I know I would. And that's a good thing because that's exactly what Jesus wants for us. He says it in Matthew 18. Let's read it. Now, at this time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, pay attention to this verse right here. Then Jesus called a little child to them and sat them in the midst of them and said, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Now, I stopped, I stopped and I wondered. I was like, why, why did Jesus bring one of the children into the midst of him? You know, Jesus did a lot of teaching and preaching, and he said a lot of things, you know. But uh, there's a few scriptures where, I don't want to say it like this, but uses a prop, <laughs> you know. And uh, I believe Jesus wanted um, the disciples to see just as much as to hear what he's trying to say. Now, imagine, if you can, the disciples, and I'm sure there were other people there, and Jesus, of course. There's probably a lot going on. And he brings this child into the midst of them, and this child don't care about nothing, ain't worried about who, who's saying what or what's going on. I can imagine this little child being down in the dirt with a little stick or something, playing in the dirt, and he's pointing to this child saying, this is what you must do. And see, a child doesn't worry about what he's going to eat, what he's going to drink, what they're going to wear, how, 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 how things are going to be provided for them. What do they do? They depend on the parent, the father. And see, that's what Jesus is trying to get them right here. He's, he's trying to say, listen, you got to cast all your care onto the father and to fully rely on him. And, and until you do that, and it, 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 as long as you're having the weight of the world pressing down on you, troubles, finance, relationship, all of it, with that pressing down on you, it pushes all the joy that the little children have right out of you. So, with that thought, I, I, I want to give something. I feel like today, us as adults or parents are too worried about impressing us on the children. We're raising our children to replicate us when maybe we need to stop and look down and start replicating the children. It's just a thought, guys. Now, here's something that I know. Unless we, as believers, until we start taking the lowly position of the children, he says it right here, guys. We'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, I apologize. It's a short one, guys. So whoever's behind me is going to have a little bit more time. That's all I have. Amen. God bless you guys. Good morning. 
it's hard to do this after you really try to not think about what I'm going to do, but I try to absorb all the stuff that you guys are saying. Anyway, uh, the scripture that I uh, am talking about is Proverbs 16.3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and they thought thy thoughts shall be established. When I first uh, started here, coming to Encounter, I think it was about two and a half, two and a half years ago, I was not in a very good place at all. Uh, wasn't really too excited about coming here. Uh, but thank God I had a strong husband who knew I needed to keep going. Um, in fact, he pushed me for years because the, 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 spell, the period of time I was in went on for years. And uh, when that happens to you, being a child of God, knowing that that's not where you're supposed to live, defeated, no joy, that can really wear on you because I don't know if you guys are like me. I do know you're like me because it tells us in a word that it's nothing different. But we're hard on ourselves. And I had gotten to the point where I'd lost all my joy. Like you were talking about the kids. That was so good for me. Um, I didn't, I'd gotten to the point in life where I didn't really care about other people, which I knew was not like me. But the devil used that, you know, to even take a stronger hold on me. And for whatever reason, I, it took me a long time to get out of that. And... I knew I'd get up here and you forget. I was so so far out of who I was. I would listen to my husband would play worship music when he was in the shower. I was ticked. <laughs> Turn that stuff off. I don't want to hear that. It, I, it condemned me rather than convicted me. And so at some point through all of this, I mean, during this whole, these years that went on, a lot of good things happened. Our daughter got married, which should have been a really great time because she married a wonderful man that we prayed she always would. And I, I made it through that, but I certainly wasn't myself. I can remember laying in she and I stayed together the night before, and I said, I told her I was sorry that I wasn't the mom. She knew that I wasn't excited about, or at least I wasn't appearing to her that I was excited about all this and that this was a good thing that was happening. And then I, the same thing happened several years later when she told us she was pregnant. My goodness, a grandchild. You know, you hear about that. You know you were excited, but I couldn't shake it off, you guys. I, and I, I hated it because I sat across the table from her when she told me that. And I, I could see the hurt in her eyes that I wasn't being the mom she knew. Anyway, forget all that. Okay. 
shake all that off. So I think you guys have seen me up here enough times that I do a lot of crying. Well, I was so far down, I couldn't cry anymore. I, I knew that was not right. I'd sit and watch my husband cry at commercials. He'd cry at everything, and here I was like, I was so numb and so far down that I couldn't even, I couldn't even conjure it up. So anyway, uh, somewhere along the line, I know a lot of prayer from other people went forth towards me, so I'm thankful for that. And I just, I, I was reading a lot in Proverbs and Psalms, because that's about all I could handle at that point. And this, this verse, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. I read that one day, and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to commit each day to you. So I would wake up every morning and say that. I didn't feel it, but I said it. And then a, many good things happened, but one good friend of mine said, because she kind of witnessed this with me, and she said, Tracy, you need to quit thinking about you and think about other people, and you need to get out there and try to help someone, which goes along with what Pastor talked about, I think, last week. If you're depressed, go find somebody that's more depressed. If you're down and out, find somebody that's more down and out. And luckily, I had another good friend that invited me to a Bible study that I didn't want to do because it scared the bejeebies out of me. But I did it because I, I saw it as an invitation from God to learn more about him. So anyway, uh, I'm not there anymore. I, thank God. I, forget all that. Sorry. Okay, I'm shaking all that off. And today's a new day, and God's mercies are new every day. Don't forget that, y'all. Hallelujah. Does she do a good job? Let's give her a hand. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. How God helps us to be overcomers. Today I want to take a few minutes to talk to you about the morsels of the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us in John 6, 51, that he is the living bread. Can someone say amen to that? He's the bread of life, right? Yes, he is, all right? The Word tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and patience and kindness and joy and gentleness and faith and humbleness and self-control. Can I tell you today that God has called you to be in a place in your life? It might not be where you want it to be at that time, but he's caused you to be there, to be an affluence upon those he has put you around. Ooh, hallelujah. Can someone say amen? That's what he does. Even though that you may be in a difficult time, you may feel like you're all tied up, he's put you there so you can be a witness to someone else. Can someone say amen? Well, Brother Dave, how can I do that? All right? How can I be a witness? I'm all knotted up like a pretzel. They just got to put some chocolate on me, and I'll be a chocolate. A cobra pretzel, all right? That's all they need to do. I feel that way. He puts you there because they can see maybe through your, your weakness, oh, hallelujah, you are strong in Jesus Christ. Can someone say amen? Hallelujah. That's the truth. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to be outward 
and not inward. Can someone say amen? Be, you know, when we go to prayer in the morning, instead of having this laundry list of things, say, God, I need this and I need that, I need that. Oh, God, I don't forget this here. I really need this. Forget about all that and begin to pray that the Lord gives you an opportunity to be a witness someplace. Can I tell you, the morsels of the Lord is this, that you will share him with somebody. Well, how do I do that, Brother Dave? I can't talk, or I'm, I'm awkward at times, and uh, I know my, my, my children call me the most awkward person they know, and they're probably right, all right? I am awkward. That's why my wife loves me so much, because she's like awkward like me. We're the awkwardness guys, <laughs> a couple, hallelujah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm, I'm quickened by the Lord to share this with you, that God has you at a place today and he's looking for you to put an arm around somebody and just tell them that Jesus loves them. God wants you to just share a, a little bit of peace and patience and kindness and humbleness with someone. And, and as I begin to pray about the ending of my time here with you today, the Holy Spirit quickened me. And I, wonder, I want you to not miss what the Holy Spirit is saying today. The, the Lord said this is, don't allow the world or Satan or religion to define who Jesus is. Can someone say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. You tell them who Jesus is. How can I do that, Brother Dave? I tell you how. Tell them what he's done for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Tell them. Tell them. Just show them. Give them a morsel. A morsel of the Lord. You know, as you can tell, uh, I might like eating a little bit, right? Just a little bit, right? You know, I did. And so, I, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a steak and taters guy. That's what I am, okay? And so, you, uh, you know, I, I, I go by places that, uh, you know, I work downtown now, and they're cooking, you know, early, and I, oh, hey, I'm, where am I going? Where am I going? I'm, I'm going. Because I can smell that appetizer of something I want. Ooh, don't miss this now. Ooh, hallelujah. The Lord wants to have you have the opportunity to give a little morsel of the Lord to those around you. So what will he'll do? He'll they'll begin to draw to that door right there. I, I, you can, they'll begin to knock on that door and begin to wonder what God has for them. For he sees, he sees a dork like me. Why won't they do something for him, right? Why won't the Lord do something for them? He will. And all we have to do is just share him. Share who he is. We don't have to. And I know my time is getting over with. But when I was younger, I thought I had to, I had to be the banner waiter for the Lord. I'd be going, yeah, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? I do. I do. I do. That's who, that's how I was. All right. And trying to carry that a lot. It's like, come on. You're going to help me here, Lord. Come on. And Lord says, listen, Grappy, I don't need all that. Just share me a little. Let me do the rest. Give a morsel of the Lord and change the lives of the people around you that God has put you there in their midst. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for the crumbs that fall from the table. Have to follow him? Boy, Mike, you set me up, Pastor Mike. 
Uh, hallelujah. Zechariah 4, 6 says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And said, insert your name there. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Today, it's not about what you can do or can't do or what you've done. It's not about your abilities or your talents. It's not even about your strength or lack of it. It's all about the Holy Spirit of God empowering you, indwelling you and I, and us yielding to the Holy Spirit to be used of him. Amen? Because God has a plan and purpose for your life. But many are trying to live this life out of religious activities or in their own strength or in their own limited knowledge. How many today know and believe that the Word of God is powerful and it's alive? It's not just words in a book. It's God's in-breathed words written by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's his personal love letter to you and I. It's the instruction manual for doing life. Amen? It's manual for marriage as well. And you know, who's the source of inspiration? The Holy Spirit inspired 35 men over 1,500 years to write the Word of God. But I want to make this personal today. You know, how many here today have been born again and have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. It's a good start. Now, let me ask you this. Who convicted you of sin or who convicts you of sin in our lives to bring us to that place of repentance so that we ask God for forgiveness? It's the Holy Spirit. Amen? So when you were born again, what part of you was actually born again or came alive? Not your body. Amen. Your spirit, not your soul or your mind and your will or emotions. That soulless realm has to be crucified because you lived according to the dictates of your flesh for 10, 20 years, 30 years before you got saved, right? So now we're in the process. We need to give and yield our thoughts, our desires and emotions all over to him to be led by him, not our carnal flesh or the dictates of our mind, will, and emotions, right? Because a lot of us were control freaks before. We wanted to control this and that and every other aspect. But, you know, Romans 8, 12 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Say live. I'm talking about true life in the Spirit, amen? Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Now, how many people's lives are like emotional roller coasters, up and down? I've seen this for over 50 years in the church. And, you know, feeling good one day and depressed the next day because they're living by emotions. And it'll cause you just to be drained, like your sister was talking about, you'll be drained of your peace, your joy, your strength, your resources, because the enemy comes to wear you out. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the joy of the Lord is your strength, and it's independent of situations or circumstances. It's independent if I were looked at you in the right way or not, or some brother or sister didn't look at you right or shake your hand. It's independent of those situations or circumstances. Hallelujah. Because the enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy, to take away your peace and that joy because he knows it's your strength. If he can steal your strength, he knows you'll be worthless. The enemy's like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. You know that? And the other thing is he knows the word better than the majority of Christians I have ever met. 
He's an expert in human nature. He's a deceiver and the father of lies. You cannot outthink him in your own. You cannot outsmart him in your natural abilities. But 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Not by our feelings or our emotions, because God is working behind the scenes when you can't even see it or feel it at times. The power today I want to talk about is of a transformed life. Peter was a fisherman. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples of the inner three. But you know what? He was an emotional wreck. He was a roller coaster, ruled by his emotions. One minute, he's stepping out of the boat. I'll walk on the water to you, Jesus. The next minute, he's looking at the winds and waves and sinking. When he was distracted by those winds and waves, and he took his eyes off of Jesus. Otherwise, he could have kept walking up and down. Can anybody relate to this here today? Up and down. Can you relate to the emotional roller coaster that the enemy sometimes gets you on and just goes around circle up and down and you get nowhere? Well, next, when Jesus asks, who am I to his disciples? Peter has the great revelation knowledge from heaven. Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, hey, blessed are you, Peter, because this isn't revealed to you by man, but my, my father in heaven. I want to ask you today, who is Jesus to you? You need to know who Christ is and who you are in Christ. You need to know the power and authority that Jesus has made available to every believer today. Now, just a couple verses later in the same chapter, Peter says, oh, Jesus, come on. He starts rebuking Jesus. Never, never, you're not going to die. This isn't going to happen to you. You're not going to go to die on a cross. And what does Jesus have to do? He rebukes and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter was speaking out of a soulless realm. One minute he's speaking faith and the miraculous. Another minute he's letting the devil speak through him. Oh, come on now, Pastor Doug. Oh, the devil, yes, he does. He speaks through a lot of Christians, unfortunately, unbeknownst to them at times. Then Peter of course, we know he's a coward at the arrest and trial of Jesus. A young girl accuses him of being one of Jesus' disciples. And we know he denied him three times. Then the rooster crows and he starts weeping bitterly, up and down. Fast forward for just a couple weeks to the day of Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon me. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? And it was Peter that was a transformed man because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not about living a religious life. Hey, I grew up in church. I'm third-generation spirit-filled minister. I grew up in church. I had a drug problem when I was just a little. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open. <laughs> Tuesday night, prayer, Wednesday, Thursday, you name it, Sunday morning, Sunday night. But that's not what it's all about. He boldly spoke on the day of Pentecost. He defended the faith. He spoke the truth. And a thousand people got saved. I want to tell you today, I know my time's up. He boldly proclaimed the gospel. He healed the cripple. He was persecuted and beaten. But I want to say there's a transformation that occurs when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. And today, we should be doing the same works that he did. And allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us, not living this life in our own power and ability, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because many people, all they have is religion today, and there's no real life in that. And they're trying to live this life out of the selfish, soulish realm 
when we need to live it out of the Spirit, because that's what Jesus did every day. So today, I want to encourage you. You heard some great messages, and I really appreciate each and every one that shared today. I pray for the anointing to continue to grow and strengthen upon them. But today, we all need the power of a transformed life. We all need a fresh new infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because in the book of Acts, they are filled continuously many, many times. And that's what we need, because sometimes we dry up. We do life. And the enemy tries to let the air out of your balloon. But I want to encourage you today, the power of a transformed life by keeping filled with the Spirit. God bless you. Would you stand to your feet? Didn't all these people do a great job this morning? Amen. Let's let them know we appreciate them in the Lord. That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.